Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Profitability Podcast. I'm your host, Eddie Pinar. Every week on this podcast, I have a conversation with a fascinating guest, whether they're an entrepreneur, an artist, musician, author, poet, or artisan, to learn more about how they live a life that is uniquely profitable. My guest today is Leo Vidrich, a CEO and leadership coach who also co-founded Buffer, a $20 million plus a year SaaS business a couple of years ago. In mentioning that, it probably took Leo and I about 10 minutes into our conversation before Buffer was first mentioned. And that is not necessarily a bad thing, but it is probably indicative of the rabbit holes that he and I explored, and also just the immense change that he has experienced in his own life. Leo vulnerably shared a couple of stories that he says he has not shared publicly before. He tells the story of when the label of founder first started feeling uncomfortable and limited his ability to connect as a human being. How he subsequently spent about two years living in a Buddhist monastery and how a meditative moment at Burning Man helped him find words for his purpose. As I was present and participated in our conversation, I was also facing some of my own discomfort about questions that are floating about in my universe. In the same way that this was a thoughtful and introspective conversation for me, I hope that you find bits of inspiration that possibly illuminates some new possibilities for life profitability for yourself. Enjoy this conversation with Leo Bedrich. Hey Leo, thanks so much uh, for being on the podcast today. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, I mean, we, we were just chatting you know, kind of offline. I think that the, the last time we like, had a proper conversation, not just kind of short, kind of either like Twitter DM or text message, was probably when you were in Cape Town and we tried to figure out, it was like 2013, 2014 in person, and we actually had lunch. So it's great to properly kind of catch up here. Yeah, it's been a long way coming. <laughs> yeah, there's just so much to happen and so, so much to dig into. I think let's just kind of kick kind of listeners off, right? And I would love to for you just to introduce yourself. And I'm most curious, you know, in that introduction that you use for yourself is whether you use any labels to actually kind of define you or introduce yourself. So yeah, my name, my name is Leo. And the, the way I would introduce myself is to say that I coach and support leaders and CEOs who are not done. And what I mean with that is, is I love these days working with people that are, have been successful in some way or another monetarily, fame-wise, but notice something else is missing or a part of them hasn't really been in balance as they've become maybe more outwardly successful. And I love kind of growing both and helping them come into balance with that. That's awesome. And, and How many labels were in there? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so surprisingly, not, not too many, right? Because what, what is interesting there is I think, I'll say this, in the very first episode of this podcast way back when, I chatted to Elliot Pepper, who's, a, who's an author, who's a novelist, and he and I got into kind of labels because his Twitter kind of bio just says novelist, very simply, right? And um, I think like whilst you obviously use descriptive words that independently I would think would be labels there. What I heard you kind of saying is like the only one was there was coach probably, but you didn't go to a single word to kind of, you know, create that bio. In fact, you mostly told the story and kind of added much more color beyond a label. So like, I didn't think so. Do you think like there were labels there? No, I agree with you. You know, I find it more helpful to speak in terms of what it is that I'm doing. Right. And labels can be helpful. I'm not, a, I'm not really against them. But I think we can fall prey to, or I have certainly fallen prey, particularly as a label founder, I think, that then cut me off from being human because being a founder is just a made up 
word, right? But but being human is real. That's that's what we actually are. So, yeah. Yeah. Founder has never been a word that has stuck with me too much. But like the one that's become very toxic for me at times is entrepreneur. Right. Because mm-hmm. like, again, like I know that it's just a made up thing. Like I, I like I know that even in those times that I choose to use the word to kind of tell part of my story. Right. I know all the limitations of the word. Right. I know that they're like when someone else hears the word, like they might have a different version than me. Like and I'm cognizant of that as well. Yet it's just this poison chalice, right? It's, it doesn't always feel great. As I said, in, and I do it by choice, but uh, it doesn't always feel great. So I guess the kind of, you know, to jump off like of that, I love the, these kind of conversations because I had this whole arc plan for this conversation and now I would get into the kind of the, the meat stuff here. I, like, I think let's just start there. Like, you know, that notion of founder, right? When did you first like realize, like, let's call it that kind of discomfort or discontent with that word or label for yourself, at least? I have a very particular moment that comes to mind because, so this must have been in 2015 where, it's surprising that this is the connection I'm making, but in 2015, there was a refugee crisis in in Europe, particularly in Austria, where I'm from, Syria, where a lot of people were kind of leaving the country from the war. I think I began feeling a little bit disillusioned with the purposeness of my work as a founder of Buffer at the time. And so what I did is I organized a career fair for refugees in Austria. And so we got about 5,000 refugees and about 100 employers in, into this giant room and, and supported them in getting jobs. And And I remember that this for me this was a really touching experience this was really kind of personally important for me to kind of create that support but i was the founder of that project and so surprisingly it wasn't the founder of buffer but it was the founder of that career fair i noticed feeling so blocked from my emotions so blocked from really letting you know some of these people coming up to me and thanking me this career fair is being put on and and I was so in doing mode, in, in founder mode, it's like, you know, I couldn't pause and let that in that I, as a human, am, I'm touched at what I've built on my product that I've created has really helped you in your life. Because I think I have this association with founder that it means you're on the move and you're always growing and you read all these articles and these books on where you need to be getting to and how you need to be moving. And, and for me, at least it left very little space to just let things in, in terms of how I'm actually touching people with the actions that I've done. So that's, I think, I remember that being very painful and, and, and just having this this vivid image of Leo and founder being like glued together. It's like, and feeling like I've invested so much in, in being a, in this persona founder, and but it's not me. It's like just this empty shell. And there's nothing, nothing really in there. Yeah. And I mean, firstly, thanks for telling a story. Like I, like, not that I stalk you, right. But, um, or that I have a Google alerts going on whenever your name is mentioned, but I, I don't believe you've ever told that story. And I think knowing what I do know about your journey since about that time, I think that's a kind of a fascinating story. Where my mind went there, Leo, is, and I wonder whether this resonates with you, is um, there's a book called uh, The Joy of Burnout. I think it's just Joy of Burnout. Dina Gluberman is the author, Dr. Dina Gluberman. And she essentially described, like, one of the ways in which she describes burnout is when the meaning gets lost in these structures 
that we've become so invested into, right? And I think that's what I heard you kind of saying there is like this persona as a founder, this like all these expectations, like all this narrative that's been built. And then suddenly in a moment, whether meaning it's lost or you realize that there's so much more meaning out there that kind of you speak about that human, that connection, that openness. That's where my mind went. Like, I wonder if that, like any of that kind of resonates for you. That resonates so much. And I think that hits home much closer with my founder's story as the founder of Buffer, where towards the end of my time at Buffer, I think at the time I hadn't reflected on the meaning part that much at all. But, but looking back on it now, it really was a meaning crisis. Like I couldn't figure out how this product that we had built was actually in integrity with, with how I want to show up in the world. And that's, that's nothing to say about, you know, what the product is and how successful it is today, but it says something about me and my personal, I guess, development. And I couldn't align that anymore. And, and there was so much at stake and you're an investor and, and you know, there was some, certainly some drama going down in terms of the money and, and power and, and all this kind of stuff. And in hindsight, that's the way I reflected, it came down to that because I lost the meaning. The way I think about it, I, I'd grown out of the meaning. You know, I think that product is meaningful today, but for me, it's not meaningful enough anymore that I want to invest in my life building it. And that's, that's my truth. That's how this resonates what you're saying in terms of burnout for me. You know, Leo, like, I think, you know, trying to answer that question about meaning, like as an individual, I think is perhaps like that is the true meaning of life, right? Is It's just always that constant pursuit of trying to answer that question and learning more about it, right? I know for me, and kind of validating what you said as a founder, I know that almost halfway through, not even halfway, like first, third, of the journey with Convergio, post we themes for me, I left with this idea in my head that I was a one-hit wonder and that I needed to prove to the world that I can build a second business, right. a successful business, significant business, right? That was the narrative. And then I want to say like 18 months into building Convergio, Convergio got to the point where, you know, this is a decent, successful business. And as soon as I can rem remember that moment vividly, and like we were having fun, there's momentum, there's growth, team's growing, product is growing, 80s reputation is growing, all these things. And I can just remember that moment where I realized that I'm not a one-hit wonder anymore. Right. And feeling like all of that meaning draining right. out of me. And I remember the purpose because I had to find new meaning, right? And right. I, like, I think I got lucky in the sense that there was enough space in those structures that I could pivot the meaning as well, essentially use the existing structures, you know, existing product, all of those things, existing team and find new meaning. And, and, and for me, like a big part of that meaning was ultimately, I think what led to, for me, discovering life profitability, the ideas behind it, wanting to write the book, all of those things, right? I, like those were the seeds, but there was definitely change in realizing that like this one thing that you thought had meaning and then it changes on you like very quickly sometimes. There's two things that come to mind for me. One is that was certainly part of what that I had with Buffer too, where for me, one of the deep-seated beliefs that, you know, even now I feel a little bit you know, ashamed about or it feels vulnerable to talk about is when I dropped out of college to go build Buffer, I did it in part from this deep-seated belief that I wanted to be free. I wanted to be financially free. And... I love this picture that you have where like meaning just drains out of you. It's like, and, and I would almost see that as like, well, you did what you came for. 
right? In your case, you did what you came for. And so now there's no more energy left because you're at the end of the road or this particular road, right? Of this particular journey. And I think that was a certainly big contributing factor for me at Buffer where I, towards the end there, I, I sold, you know, a small portion of my stock to new investors. And I was reading this guy, Mr. Money Mustache's blog, who talks a lot about early retirement. And I'm sure you've read this his, his stuff. And he has this calculation. He's like, you know, if you can take 4% out of your net worth a year, then essentially you can retire because you can always make that back, even in the most conservative of conservative kind of investment stock market situations. And so I remember doing that calculation when I sold this portion of stock. And I don't remember doing that with this, you know, as consciously as I'm telling you now, but coming up with a number where I'm like, well, I could live off of that a year. And that means I don't have to work anymore. And that for me was another moment of this draining of meaning. I was like, and I know it's like, well, money was the meaning. It was like, yeah, financial freedom was the meaning in a way. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what it was. And I had this moment of like, fuck. And like, and in a way, I couldn't really get myself out of bed to work another day on this thing because everything else had lost its meaning, right? And now I am embarrassed to tell this, but it's the truth. And I'm also looking forward to just to almost like let your listeners or you know, like, but, but today I have, a, I have a better meaning. But that, that was the truth then, right? And so that's one thing that comes to mind. And I have another thought on, in general, how meaning comes into our lives. And maybe this is going on for too long, so I'm happy to, to have you. No, firstly, I love rabbit holes. And secondly, I love conversations where I don't have to answer the questions. So like, let's go down this rabbit hole. Let's go down the rabbit hole, yeah. So I do believe that, I do think we can have distinct moments of meaning that come to us in our lives. And I believe that they require us to be in some way or another particularly quiet. And there's a great book that I love that I can recommend. It's called Nature and the Human Soul by uh, Bill Blotkin. And he talks about just across every kind of native culture on planet Earth that they have some form of initiation ritual where the coming of age person of the tribe needs to do something. You know, there's so many different rituals. We all know the vision quests. We know the different, you know, the most common styles these days. But they need to go off away and become quiet in some form. This is how I would describe it. Become quiet on the inside so that something can spark, so that something can come through that produces a real connection to the world around you. And I think that is then something that we tend to, as humans, my experience, fabricate into meaning. And my problem was that the, the only thing I had been quiet enough for at that time in my life was that I wanted to be financially free. That was, the, that was as deep as it went. And since then, I spent a lot more time in, in quiet spaces and different experiences of like self-exploration. And I felt lucky that in those moments I had things of moments of like insights of meaning that came to me that guide me to this day. And I believe that's important for everybody to have, whether that's like, you know, I remember Kamal Ravikant walking the Camino, right? Or you people go on meditation retreats or, or, and I think we make fun of that. We say like, you know, oh, like this is now the silly neo-spiritual kind of movement. But I actually think this is a real need that people want to, they're looking for something, right? And ayahuasca trips to Peru and like all these kind of things that are popping up end up getting very popular. I think it's all a really important, really healthy development that ultimately I think points towards our, our search for meaning, our, our wish for meaning. 
And my personal journey or my personal experience has been that I, after leaving Buffer, I was certainly in a meaning crisis for a while. And, and I just lived in a Buddhist monastery for almost two years. And um, I just sat in meditation every day for five to six hours. And I did a lot of therapy. I cleared out and looked at a lot of my, you know, relationship to, with, my, with my parents, in my childhood, a lot of trauma work. And I think it, it kind of literally cleared me out. I lost about 20 kilos in that, in that time, which I think was in part emotional, like just things that I literally held on to. And the most meaningful thing that then happened to me was at the end of that time, I thought, okay, I'm going to move back to Austria. This, the monastery was in, in the north of New York State in the forest. To kind of round out my experience in the U.S. and being a startup founder in this career, and, been in the monastery i'm gonna go to burning man for the first time so i went to burning man and uh, i took a buffer t-shirt with me and i also had been through a breakup and i had a hairband of my former partner and and, and have you been to burning man i've not they're not so so they have this giant temple there made out of wood that at the the last day of burning man it gets burned down so i never told the story to anybody i not even privately i don't think and so I took a buffer t-shirt and I took this hairband of my, of my former partner and I tied it to the temple kind of uh, wall in a kind of attempt to acknowledge this wonderful past, but also release it, right? That this is no longer the center of my life or no longer what I'm focusing a lot of time on. And I'm a little bit weird at these kinds of festivals. I don't do a lot of drugs or I don't party a lot, but I usually I go to bed pretty early and I go up, get up really early. And then everyone's still sleeping and I kind of have a lot of quiet and space to myself. And so I, so I tie this into the temple and I go out and I take my bike at Burning Man and I ride out at like 7 a.m. in the morning. Uh, you have to get up pretty early so the heat doesn't like beat down on you. And it was like just exploring the art structures. There's a lot of art, beautiful art in the, in the middle of the desert that they put up for Burning Man. And I was riding around there, looking at these giant structures and feeling like pretty uninspired by them, feeling like, you know, this feels too performative for me. And then I happened upon this tiny structure. It was just a meditation cushion on this wooden kind of structure, like just one cushion. And I just felt this desire. It's like, here, I'm, I'm just going to sit down, enjoy this morning, meditate for a little bit, just be quiet. And I would say that I had the most distinct kind of spiritual meditative experience there where, where I felt this really deep connection with the world around me, like really, really present in a way where I felt like something else is there. And I don't know if that was my mind or if that was just my sense of warmth to the world. Like we can kind of argue about what kind of experience that was but I was like well let me play with this you know I was like ever the entrepreneur ever the like kind of like opportunistic person in me it was like if this feels like a really resonant warm wise atmosphere what if I just threw out some questions and the first question I had is I was I was dating this girl after I had broken up I was just like what about this girl like what is this gonna be right and there was just like nothing nothing coming back and then I was like, well, maybe that's not relevant enough. And I was like, hey, let me ask this question. What's the purpose of my life? And there was a sentence that I'm going to say came back because I didn't feel like it, it came from me, but it came back. And I don't know where it came from. Maybe this was just from deeper within me. But there was a sentence that came back that has since really accompanied me. And the sentence said, well, your purpose in life is to help people that are searching 
to find nothing. And I've really kind of looked at this sentence since and a lot of my best coaching sessions turn out that way, right? Where there's this really big problem or this really big challenge or just, and we, we kind of go in and, you know, through the process that I have and there's nothing behind it, right? We, there's nothing to look for, to arrive at. It's just, people have described this differently over the, the millennia, but it's just, we're just here and we are free to make of it what we want. And, and I think I see my purpose now as, as supporting people in waking up to that truth. And I think to me, that's somewhat universal and, and means different things for different people. But yeah, helping people searching to find nothing. That's, that's kind of where I ended up. Yeah, I love that. And thanks again for sharing the story there. I think just almost uh, you're trying to overlay parts of that on my own journey, right? And I, I, I remember a conversation that I had with my therapist like after that initial kind of you know, meaning pivot and kind of my business where and we, we were had stumbled onto kind of tougher times and like I was in a dark place and it was the first time ever that I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do next right which is again like that's a hard thing to admit for someone that kind of post university like I well it doesn't even matter right, about the kind of the the sequence of events like I've, I've always been very purposeful in taking action and then suddenly like being in that kind of space where don't know what's next the conversation that she and i had was all around if i didn't do this thing like if i didn't work on this business or if i didn't even want to be an entrepreneur anymore like it's scary to think about what is next and then she just said you know what sometimes like it is absolutely impossible to know what is next until you just finish this one thing and you just create space Right. And it sounds like through your experience there, like and even that experience, the story at Burning Man itself, there was space there. And again, like you and I can philosophize and speculate about where that answer comes from. And I think that's probably less important than acknowledging that there was space there. Right. Like in that typical kind of Buddhist um, way, also, like what comes to mind is the master appears when the student is ready. Right. right, right. Um, kind of thing. Again, like that's a just a contextual space thing. Like, it doesn't really matter what the master, quote unquote, is, but it is a space thing. And, and I think we're in such a fast moving society, like instant gratification, you know, and even again, coming back to what we started talking about, like founder, entrepreneur labels, like it's a single fast lane that you're supposed to just run, run, run. And we don't really leave space to discover meaning or purpose because it's all very linear and we just keep on moving. Well, I would say because it scares us shitless, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why. I mean, you and I, very concretely, you don't have to talk about society, but I mean, I can just speak for myself, is that it fucking scares me to slow down. I feel so nervous when I take a rest, when I take a pause. These days, I, I take two months off. I don't work December and I don't work June. It's the hardest month of my life because I think I've trained myself so much to be a doer, right? And to do, and I've stopped some of it for sure, but it's still there. And yeah, to drop into being and to drop into, I think it's always often then for me, at least turns into a question of self-worth. Am I still worthy when I'm just sitting here, right? Not trying to get anywhere, not trying to make another buck or sign up another user or, or raise another round or whatever whatever it is or meditate another hour right it, it, it can take all shapes and forms of getting somewhere if i'm just sitting here and i'm here is that good enough and 
I think facing the fear of that question is always terrifying and always vulnerable and powerful and relieving when I do allow it to, to, to be here as a question. And listening to you, Leo, like, I don't think, and again, please tell me if, like, if you disagree, I don't think the purpose here is to try and get rid of that fear either, right? Because right. the way you describe that fear like resonates with me, right? And like, I, I at least partly know that that fear is good in the way the tension is good, right? Like if you think about the body, like just how body, like any muscle in the body kind of naturally works in the way that it holds, like it holds that muscle in tension, right? Fair enough, like a tight muscle is not a good thing either, but a muscle with no tension, like it's also not helpful, right? Because it would not function in that way. And I think, you know, fear, fear is perhaps not the best one here, right? But we have these different forces in our lives, these different feelings, these different experiences, you know, both kind of past and present, expectations, hopes, all those things. And they kind of keep us in tension, right? That's, like it's constantly asking that question of what is this thing? And that tension is ultimately what moves us forward. I think the key there is just to be aware of what those different forces are at any given stage, right? So that we can kind of influence what the next steps are, like without trying to necessarily control them. And I'm really hooking in there with your last sentence. Because my experience, and, and I've in part learned this in my education as a trauma therapist, which I've done for the last few years now, but I've come to the belief that fear felt is aliveness. So it's only unconscious fear that's the problem, right? But if we actually, and, and, and I mean this not, not kind of abstractly, but very concretely, if you sit here and you notice fear in your body, you know, a tight jittery chest or a kind of anxious kind of heart beating. My experience is if you stay with that long enough and you let that be here long enough, it starts to spread out. Most of my clients say like, but it's getting worse, right? They would say like, it's getting more, I'm feeling more fear. And I'm like, okay, stay with it. And then you feel more fear. And once more fear can inhabit more space of your body, it stops being fear. It starts feeling like, wow, you know, it's like now I'm alive because I'm not restricting fear to such a small place of my body, which makes it feel very comfortable. But as it spreads out, you feel like kind of tingly or kind of spacious and alive and feeling kind of ready, you know, your eyes get into focus. And so I think it's literally fear itself that provides the energy once it's felt and expanded. And I've observed this with other emotions in, for example, shame, shame felt as vulnerability right when you feel shame and you feel it you become very soft and vulnerable and i find that for example sadness felt becomes peacefulness and so all these emotions that we dub bad anger felt becomes healthy aggression in some way when it's not so tightly wrapped and that's kind of my experience that there is really no need to work with fear or to, 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 you know, to just do anything with it other than to feel it and to let it support you in this way. Um, and that requires, I think, one thing, which is courage, right? Like courage to say, you know what? I'm going to let this fear give me energy even though I feel like I'm going to die, which is what also happens in our brains, right? Like we like, don't feel the fear, you're going to die. So I'm totally butchering the, the title of the book here, um, but I believe that it's Taming the Tiger, psychologist that wrote it. And it's all about stress cycles. And the analogy in the book is, uh, you know, when there's a buck in the bush felt 
and it senses a lion. And this actually happens, right? So it's not just a kind of made up story here. This is actual science, right? That animal will sense the predator and for a moment they'll be completely still, right? Because that's their fight or flight kind of mode kicking in, trying to ascertain, like, what do I do next? And then if, if that threat kind of disappears, that animal immediately has, like, you can see the tremors, right? Where they literally kind of shake it off. That fight or flight, that cortisol, the adrenaline, whatever it was, they show these tremors and then they go on naturally with their life. Like they, they eat the grass they were eating beforehand. And I think like in listening to you describe that kind of how something like fear goes to aliveness, like these things are all very, very human. And that expansive quality that you also talk about there, that is just that energy continuously moving. Like when we allow it to move, doesn't matter what that emotion or sensation is, that's probably much better than us trying to hold onto it so tightly and trying to confine it because it's when it's so confined that the stress cycle doesn't complete. And then like all of the science shows when a stress cycle doesn't complete, that's when you actually create trauma and you create trauma in the body, right? I love that. And, and feel free to cut this out, Aiden. But this, to me, the synchronicity of what you just said is so amazing. And But I do have to call you out on the fact that I love that you called the title of the book Taming the Tiger because the actual title of the book is Waking the Tiger. And, and, and this is exactly what you just said though, right? Which is we are, we are waking it, right? We are, we are not taming it. We, we, I think you described exactly what the book talks about. And this is the guy I've done the training with, or who wrote that book, Peter Levine, who's just a spectacular researcher in my experience. But it's about not taming the tiger, it's about waking it, right? It's about letting exactly, like, as you said, letting that, We've all been so conditioned, I certainly have, to not feel these feelings, to, you know, sit still, sit in a classroom, sit in university, you know, whatever it is, but to not wake the tiger, right? To not feel those things because that would make us really powerful and, and very hard to control. And, you know, anyone who's ever had a child, when it starts walking and it starts feeling its feelings, it's very potent, right? And knows what he wants. And so... I love what you said there. You know, it's about waking those parts up and, and not being scared of them anymore, even though we've all been told those are bad things. And letting them energize us, letting them give us the life energy we need to do the things we want in life, right? Whatever that is, but, but actually agreeing to them, agreeing to the fear, agree, like, the, like the buck is agreeing to its fear and then has so much energy to run, but most of us do not agree to our fear, you know, that... We will die, that life is finite, so we, we want to do something, right? So we try to cut ourselves off from that. And I think that creates so many problems, psychological and bodily. I'm sort of claiming, by the way, that, because we're not cutting that out. Um, I'm just <laughs> claiming that I got the title wrong on purpose so that I could set you up to right. <laughs> pro pro properly have a conversation about this. <laughs> so for, for everyone listening, I did actually read the book. It was just ages ago, hence, hence I was fuzzy on, on the title. No, and I love the synchronicity that what your mind has done, right? It's, it, it won't, it's like, that's just the fact that you said, I don't think, I totally feel like you read the book, but like taming versus waking. This is how we've been conditioned. We've been conditioned to tame yep. our emotions. We have not been conditioned to wake them, right? It's like, wake up your anger. It's like, what? That's crazy to most people. They're like, no, tame your anger, anger management, you know, all these kinds of things. Put it waking back in the closet. Right, exactly. Right. So I'm like totally with you. Yeah. So Leo, I'd love, because we're almost up on time here and I'd love to kind of, I'd love to leave listeners with something tangible and I'll, I'll set it up kind of some way, right? So we've spoken about space. We've spoken about kind of expansive qualities. You've shared 
the fact that you spent kind of you know, almost two years of your life in a kind of Bud you know, Buddhist monastery, you created that space that then created a big pivot point in your life as well, going from founder to kind of coach and that's simplifying kind of labels. The question I would like to pose for you here is when you sit down you know, tomorrow with Gina, right? Gina is our avatar here and um, Gina is really ambitious and she already has a very full life, right? Work-wise, professionally, perhaps she's running a business, perhaps she's a single mom, like has family, has friends, has hobbies, all of those things. And she's kind of feeling slightly discontent with the way things are. And anything that she reads, any self-help book, anyone that she goes to, essentially just gives her more to-dos, right? Which is like, well, just, just do these three things, adopt this habit, do that thing, like whatever, and you're going to be happy, like make this change. Like it's all action-driven stuff. What is your suggestion for Gina in just finding space, creating space, finding space, discovering space, whatever the kind of words are, but how does she start creating that space to start addressing the discontent that she's feeling today? Well, I, I always tell people I, I don't, I'm not much of a coach in the abstract, right? So in the generalizing, I work very directly with where people are at. So I would certainly just enjoy spending some time with, with Gina and, and hearing what precisely what exactly is going on and how she's doing on the inside as she's telling me these things. And, and once we've come to a place in a session where there's already a little bit more expansion just for a moment, I would simply ask her the question that she doesn't need any more tools. She doesn't need any more books to read. This is something I tell my clients often, but I would just ask her, how have you created expansion for yourself in your life before, right? In, in, in moments or years prior, and usually when I ask people that question, they don't need my help. They don't need another tip to meditate or to, they would be like, you know what? You know, when I was just starting college, I, I, I loved going for bike rides around the forest uh, near me. And, and I felt so rejuvenated when I did that. Or, you know what, there's this forest nearby and, you know, I haven't gone much, but whenever I've been the last few months, wow, it felt so great. Or whatever it is, right? People have their strategies already and these strategies work and definitely we can grow them and I have lots of ideas of how to grow them but usually that takes up the least amount of time so I would probably just ask that question to Gina and I would I'm guessing she would she would have some answers and I would probably just ask her what would be supportive for her to take a tiny step right towards something she already knows is good for her that she's experienced in the past so I think that's my I don't know if it's a disappointing answer, but this is kind of the simple way I, I like to play with people. On, on, on yeah, I know, like and, yeah. and I absolutely love that, Leo. I think one of the things that I like often tell people is, especially entrepreneurs, right, where like I often just advocate for just go back to the start, right, right. and find that alignment with yourself first, because if you can't be in alignment with yourself at that very first step of whatever journey you're going to you take, like there's always going to be friction, right? Because there's only a single common denominator on whatever journey it is that you or Gina or myself takes kind of you know, today. And that's ourselves, right? right. Like anything else can change, right? Okay. The career can change. The business can change. The product can change. The people around you can change. A partner can change, right? Families can change. Like everything can change but you're still going to be there, right? So I love that idea to your point of like Gina just going back to that. Things that's kind of helped her have that kind of expansive quality in the past, right? That's probably a great place to start. Like Gina can probably find ways to then use that and amplify that and then over time discover 
new things that works. Leo, this has been an absolutely amazing conversation. I sense that um, you and I can go on for absolute kind of hours here, but I think we should leave listeners with just enough space as well to kind of digest this and find the bits of value that resonates with them. For listeners that want to kind of follow you, like want to learn more about your work, your ideas about life and all these things, like where do you want us to send them? Yeah, the best place is probably my website. It's leowid.com. That's also my username on Twitter, leowid. And this is where I publish articles. This is where I have a newsletter. We have a neat, small, very engaged community of people that resonate with a lot of things I talk about today and always welcome new folks wanting to join. Awesome stuff. Leo, we'll get that linked up. And I'm sure, I think if anyone found this kind of you know, conversation in any way intriguing, they will definitely be kind of you know, stalking you all over the interwebs. Leo, thanks so much for the time today. This has been an amazing conversation and catch up for me personally. Same thing. Thanks so much, Eddie. That's it for me for today's episode. If anything in today's conversation really resonated with you, please do send me an email on ad at lifeprofitability.com. That's A-D-I-I at lifeprofitability.com. You can also leave a review on iTunes, which helps me to improve the show and perhaps also helps me to reach someone else that needs to hear this or might find this helpful. I'll be back here with another great guest next week. Cheers. Cheers.